Would you stand, please? Bo Bayless is coming this morning to read our scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if a foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. This is the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 20. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A few days ago, I finally received a great honor for the first time in my life. I was featured in an exclusive production, whether or not you can believe that. And some of you were featured in this production as well. That's me right there on top of a Pinewood Derby car at our RA Racers Night. This is Aaron Sweeney's car, and that is Pastor Lego Eric preaching with the cross behind me, the pulpit in front of me, and six members of the congregation, though I'm not sure those actually represent any of you because they are paying such great attention to me <laughs> as I'm preaching and teaching. But what an honor to be featured on an RA Racer Pinewood Derby car. And I thought this also provided a, a great jumping off point for us this morning when we think about the picture that comes to our minds when we hear the word church. Each of us have a, a picture when we hear this word, this thing we call church, and, and we think typically in terms of the experiences we've had in a place like this or in a congregational setting. What comes to our mind, the picture we have of church, we can't help but think of things we experienced as children if we went to church as children. And all the experiences that we've had combined over the years that have followed in, in this thing that we call church. The Bible, though, gives us a picture, a consistent picture of the church that doesn't refer to a building, and it doesn't give us the picture of a set of programs or an online platform. The picture the Bible gives us of this thing we call church is us. It's the people. It's God's people when they gather together and they worship together and they grow as disciples together and they are generous together and they witness together and they do life together 
that's the picture we have from scripture of the church and last week as we began this series we looked at the first church the church in jerusalem in both acts chapter 2 and acts chapter 4 and we saw without question that god was at work powerfully among those first believers in fact we look at those little snapshots of the jerusalem church in the book of acts and we say lord that it may be that we experience the same things in our churches today that they gathered together and devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to fellowship to the breaking of bread through the lord's supper and to fervent times of prayer but also that their oneness their unity was evident they were one acts told us all of the believers in heart and in mind and they shared everything in common their generosity was evident they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need so that it would be clear that no one in the family would go without and their commitment was evident every day every day acts tells us they continued meeting together sometimes in the temple courts eventually they started breaking bread in their homes and as they sat around the table as they ate together they had glad and sincere hearts and their effectiveness was evident every single day in those first few weeks and months of the early church the lord was adding to their number those who were being brought from death to life those who were being saved and we look at all of those key elements we read in acts chapter 2 and acts chapter 4 and we say again lord that those would describe us as your people today and as your church today today we're going to turn to the first epistle from an apostle that we'll talk about in this series the first letter fast forwarding a couple of decades to a place called corinth and the apostle paul is the apostle who's writing to this church and it's clear from the outset of first corinthians that the church in corinth has strayed quite a bit from those pictures that we saw of the first church in acts many of them first corinthians makes clear have strayed personally they've gone back to some of their old ways of living they've allowed some sinful things to infiltrate their lives again and 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 part of this letter is paul calling believers as individuals themselves back to a place of obedience and faithfulness but it's also obvious that they've strayed as a group that the the unity the oneness the the shared commitment we read about in acts is not being experienced in corinth instead there are rivalries there are jealousies there are factions rising up and several times throughout this letter rather than using the word unity to describe this church paul uses the word division and on his heart as the holy spirit is speaking through him is that this church would come back to a place of oneness where together they would be of the same heart and mind and they through their unity would be effective once again so what paul does here in first corinthians 12 is he gives us a picture of the church which is both easy to understand and also easy to communicate when we teach new believers when we teach our children and when we remind each other what it means to be a part of this thing we call church paul gives us the picture of the body so as we walk through 
this text together this morning, beginning there in verse 12, Paul makes this statement at the beginning, and he makes it several times throughout, that Christ's body is one, one body. And Christ is the head of that body. Make no mistake, we have no one else who is above reproach in the body. We have no one else who is never to be questioned. We have no one else who we follow blindly no matter what. Jesus Christ is the head, and ultimately we don't follow him blindly because we know his perfect will is trustworthy. The church, the body of Christ is one, and Christ is the head. And there in verse 12, Paul does not say it's the body of Christ that we are parts of, he says we are the body of Christ. We are the parts of Christ's body. And just as a body, though one has many parts, but its many parts form one body, so it is with us. We are the body of Christ. What's the difference between being members of the body versus members of Christ himself? It means, listen, we are Christ's hands and feet in this world. We are Christ's eyes and ears. When others look at us, it's not meant to be that they would just see a club or an organization or a group of people who have rallied around a cause. When they look at us, if we are faithful as his body, they see Christ. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his eyes and ears. And he's placed us in this world so that when people see his body, indeed, they see Christ and his love itself. The word that is used here, translated in the NIV as parts. Some of your translations will say members. It's a word that, that literally, when referring to the body, means a limb or an organ. It, when, when Paul uses this description, he is, is using a vivid one that says... The body is not whole if one of these parts is missing or one of these organs is missing. The body is not all it can be if one part or one member is no longer there. And, and hear this as well. He's also giving us the picture that to remove a part or to lose a part of the body should be a very painful process because it is like cutting off a limb. It is like removing an organ from the body. And just recently, it happened to us again here at South Tulsa. We found out by a letter that came in the mail that a key invested member of our body had joined another church. Now listen, that happens all the time these days. It's not so true in the global church, but in the American church, it's very common that people leave one congregation, they go to another, and in our convention of churches, typically that happens by a church sending another church a letter it's common and you might even say to me pastor you shouldn't let that bother you but let me tell you the truth it always does especially when like this situation i never heard from this person nobody on our staff ever had the opportunity to have a conversation with them they never even said goodbye to their sunday bible study group they just left and i submit to you with the picture that the Bible gives us, of that 1 Corinthians 12 gives us, it shouldn't be that easy. It should be painful. It should be hard because we are part of the body. We're limbs, we're organs, and 
and each and every one of us belong to this body. And now Paul here, of course, is talking about the church as a whole, but he is specifically talking to the church in Corinth. And so we can say this with regard to a local church like ours. In fact, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 1, in his introductory remarks, he talks about what's happening in the church. He says in chapter 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, and he doesn't say here brothers and sisters. He says brothers, and as you read further, you see why. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. Because, brothers, your sister Chloe has ratted you out. I love this verse. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, either I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, I follow Peter, or I follow Christ. And Paul says, let me ask you a couple of questions. Is Christ divided? Was Paul the one who was crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? If that's not the case, then why are you canceling each other out? Why are you saying, oh, you follow Peter. Yeah, we, you know, we don't really want anything to do with you anymore. Oh, you're, you're Apollos' guys. We don't like Apollos. We don't want anything to do with you. We follow Paul, and Paul is saying, even to those who are on his team, I was not crucified for you. You were not baptized in my name. We are one in Christ Jesus. We are a part of one body united together. And the name under which we are known is not Paul, Apollos, or Cephas. It is Christ. And because of that, Christ's body is one. Christ alone is the head. And verse 13 reminds us that we all came into this body. We all became a part of this family the same way. We were baptized and filled with the Spirit. And we all have had the one Spirit to drink. And just like when I drink a glass of water, it goes in through my mouth and it becomes a part of my body. So the Holy Spirit does that for us as believers. The very Spirit of God is a part of us, inside us, leading us, moving us, and we've not all received a different version of that spirit. We've not all received a different version of God's Holy Spirit in us where you might say, well, well, I have a, a version of the Spirit and you have a version and, and we're all different in that regard. No, we've all been given the one Spirit to drink and our baptism is a symbol that what unites us is that we have identified with Christ's death. We've died to sin. And we've identified with Christ's resurrection. We've been raised to life through salvation. And we are no longer dead in our trespasses and sin. And that is what makes us the body. Again, we did not rally together here around a cause or an idea or to follow some human or human leader. That's not why we're here. We're here because we have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. And we have been filled with the one Spirit of God. 
that we've all been given to drink. And in that one spirit, we stand united in Christ because there is only one body, there's only one baptism, there's only one spirit because there's only one who gave himself for the life of the world. And it's Jesus Christ who unites us. It's his name that we bear. He is the head of the church. And listen, if we are not united in Christ, we are united in nothing. We may get together even in our Bible study groups, and we may follow those tangents. We might find some areas where we are united or we agree. We, we might spend more of our time talking about issues than we talk about the Bible, but that's not what unites us as the body. And those things actually tend to bring in more division than unity, don't they? But if we, as both our starting place and our ending place, as our baseline, always remember that we are one in Christ Jesus, we are united in Christ, then we can be united in everything. It doesn't mean we're always going to agree, we're always going to see everything the same, but we can certainly stand together and say there is no division in this body because it is Christ who unites us. One body, one baptism, one spirit, we are one in Christ Jesus. Isn't it interesting how so often what brings divisions and rivalries and, rivalries and, and jealousies into the church is usually not things that have anything to do with the one spirit. But it's more those things that, that bring jealousy and, and selfish desires and petty things to the surface where the enemy of the church loves to see brothers and sisters pitted against one another about things that typically don't matter or change. That was what was happening in Corinth. And Paul begins this part of 1 Corinthians 12 with this reminder. Christ's body is one and Christ alone is the head. But then we move into the middle part of our text. And I love this message that I believe rings out so clearly for the church in Corinth. In Christ's body, the church, there are no second-class members. And it was not a mistake, and it was not by accident, that Paul began this section with the foot. Because in the Middle Eastern world of the ancient world, and it's still true in the Middle Eastern world today, in places like Corinth, the foot is one of the least honorable parts of the body. If you grow up in the Middle East and you're being compared to the body, you want to be the eye, or you want to be the head, or you want to be the right hand. You don't want to be compared to the left hand. And if you don't know the reason for that, look it up later, okay? You don't want to be the left hand. You don't want to be compared to the, the parts of the body that are covered for modesty. And you certainly don't want to be compared to the foot. The foot is unclean. Feet and shoes are typically used in Middle Eastern culture as symbols of shame and intentionally disrespecting someone else. We can even see some examples of that in the Bible. Remember in Exodus chapter 3 when God was speaking to Moses through the burning bush. He said, don't you come over here with those dirty shoes on. Take off those sandals. This is holy ground. In Psalm chapter 60, God says as he is rejecting the people of Edom, he says, 
Edom, upon Edom I cast my shoe. Symbol of disrespect and rejection. Jesus said of Judas, after Judas betrayed him, he who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. We can even think to some pictures from recent history in the Middle East. Remember in 2003 in Baghdad when Saddam Hussein's statue was pulled down. Do you remember the images of the Iraqis gathering around and beating upon that statue with their shoes? Or in Egypt in 2011 in Cairo, the Egyptians showed their total rejection of then-President Mubarak by holding up their shoes. Please, nobody, hold up your shoes against me this morning. I will be deeply offended if you do that. Even today, Arabic speakers, if they're going to use the word for foot or the word for shoe publicly, they will apologize in advance just so no one thinks they're cursing as a part of their speech. Yet Paul, when he addresses the people of Corinth and the church that is there, he begins by addressing those who might feel like a foot. Those who might feel less important or even worthless in the body of Christ. This may have been a widow with no family who he had in mind. It might have been a slave. It might have been a person with a chronic illness. Or it might have been one who was desperately poor, maybe even used to be a beggar before they became part of the church. To the one who feels inferior or ashamed of their status in the church, the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul says, those feelings do not reflect the truth. Because in Christ's body, the church, there are no second-class members. And if the foot or the one who feels like the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body, be out of the family. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, how would we smell? Where would the sense of smell be? No, that's not how God has done it. That's not how Christ has organized his body. He has arranged every part in the body just as he wants them to be. And whether you feel like an eye or a hand or a foot, we are the body of Christ. And we are one in Christ Jesus. Paul also is saying something here that is very countercultural in this sense of there being no second class members. Countercultural to everyone. Yes, he is saying something similar to what we read in Acts last week that everyone in the church has a part to play. That everyone has gifts and skills and, and abilities and strengths and weaknesses that they can bring to bear so that the body as one can be more effective. But he's also saying in this idea of there being no second-class members that every single human life is valuable in the eyes of God. Now, that may be hard for you to see, but think about the, the, the culture of the ancient world if ever there was a time when human life was valued very low and only a few people were really treated and talked about as if their lives had eternal value, it was the Roman world. The Roman world was one where very few people were wealthy, very few people had a say in decisions that were being made. Most people were either in what we might call the middle class, though they didn't call it that, 
or they were extremely poor. And most of the people in the middle were much closer to poverty than they were to wealth. And there was an extremely low view of human life. In fact, you might describe the Roman worldview like a funnel. The idea that most people exist only to feed the desires and the wants and the pleasures of the few. To, to feed the bellies of the wealthy and the powerful. That's what most people existed to do in their minds. And you can see it in the writings of philosophers. You can see it in the statements made by emperors and Caesars. And you can see it in the way many people talked about themselves. And so Paul is addressing the church and he says, look, that may be the way people are treated out there, but that's not the way we do things in here. Inside the church, there are no second-class members. No one is disrespected, and no one is elevated to a special position of status. If we're doing this thing right, and we're truly following the leadership of the Spirit, we are one, and we're all sons and daughters of the King, and we're all brothers and sisters in Christ the King, and each and every one of us is an essential, important part of the body as a whole. There's an affirmation I hear in this of the value of every single human life made in the image of God. And just this week, we're starting to hear rumors that hopefully there will be a public affirmation of the value of life in the womb. Here on this Mother's Day, what an interesting time to be talking about the fact that, that there are still many who believe that whether you're pre-born or born, you are made in the image of God. The church, listen, say what you will about evangelicals, American Christians, Baptists. We, we get criticized a lot, and we've earned a lot of that criticism. I'm okay with that. But one place where we have stood firm for decades now is in affirming life. And that's not just been a political thing. Yes, we're talking about some things that might happen in D.C., but, but it has been the church. We've been the ones who have taken the lead in cities all over this country in building hope pregnancy centers like the one in Tulsa, in making ultrasound machines available for people to see that living being image of God inside. We've been the ones who have, who have built these centers to come alongside families who have unplanned pregnancies to walk with them. We've done a great job there. But listen, we need to put that same energy, we have to put that same energy into defending lives that have already been born, into defending the lives of those who are, are older and, and those who are vulnerable and those who many in our culture want to denigrate and degrade and try to convince us, and sometimes it even happens in churches, convince us that they're not worth as much as we are. Paul says in the church, that's not how we view things. And that's not how we do things. The church is a place of equality. And the church is a place, as we said last week, of equity, where those in Acts modeled for us, we make sure all of our brothers and sisters are taken care of. And if that means I have to sacrifice for your good, I will do it. Because in Christ's body, there are no second-class members. And finally pulling in the last verses we read, but also just a couple of verses from the end of the chapter that we didn't read. Christ's body, the church, is wonderfully diverse in design, arrangement, and in gifts. 
In fact, God has placed the parts of the body, each and every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. As I said a moment ago, there's a difference between unity and uniformity, okay? We're never all always going to agree about every single thing. That's not going to happen. But even where we disagree, the unity can still be there. And we can see that diversity in the body is a strength. That the, the fact that we're not, we weren't all born in the same year. We weren't all born in the same place. We weren't all raised in the same environment. We don't all have the same color skin. We don't all have all the same opinions and preferences. But when you put all of this together as the body, every part matters, and every part makes the whole, but also the whole is wonderfully diverse in arrangement and in design and in the gifts that we bring to the table. And I love how Paul closes out the chapter Again, we won't read all these verses, but look there in verse 21. Paul's not just dealing with the idea that some might have had, I'm better than you. So there, there certainly might have been some in the church who, who thought or acted as if they were better than others. But look at what verse 21 says. Paul's confronting the idea, I don't need you. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head, Christ would never say to the feet, I don't need you because we are his feet. We are his hands in the world. We can never say to each other, I don't need you. Because as the body, as one united with Christ as the head, that is never the case. We always need each other. And Paul says there in verse 25, so that there should be no division in the body, but all of its parts should have equal concern for each other. And if one part suffers, just like our human bodies do, as our biology has been wired to work, if one part of the body is injured, all the parts rush to that part to try to help. If one part of, of our body is injured, our brain is sending signals, our blood is flowing. If our hand is able to, to, to provide aid, it will. If, if our feet can move to get us to the hospital or to get help, they will. Every part rushes to help the part that is hurting and suffering. Paul says, if one part suffers in a unified body, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We're not a family, a body that's filled with jealousy and rivalry and division. We're happy for each other when good things happen. We want what's best for our brothers and sisters. We don't fall into the comparison trap that says, rather than, I'm happy for you, why didn't that happen to me? We don't do that. We rejoice with each other. We suffer with each other. Because you and I, we are all a part of the body of Christ. And every single one of us is a part of it. I mentioned to you earlier that that word for parts or members when it refers to the physical body it means literally a limb or an organ there's also another place that this word is used in ancient greek it's used for music scores it's used to give a picture of music 
of, of music notes coming together in harmony, parts and members all coming together to form a beautiful song that when played in harmony brings joy and delight to those who hear it. I was thinking about that idea and that picture of a music score as, as a unified body and how we worship together when we sing in a setting like this. How our worship, our singing, actually can give us a picture of what unity in the body looks like. And I want to share some words with you that are, will be our closing words this morning that were written by a very wise person that many of you know well, Philip Stevens. And he shared these words with us as, our, as a part of our retreat last week and said these really reflect the way he sees it from right here when he's leading worship in, in services like ours and how this reflects the beauty of a unified body, one in Christ Jesus. Philip wrote this. I believe God intends our worship to be intergenerational. I'm glad that our two morning worship services have a good mix of ages, from children to senior adults. All over the world today, people worship in different ways. Some eyes are closed and some are open. Some hands are raised and some are not. But the posture of our bodies is not the point. I love to look out, Philip writes, and see when we're singing the 16th century words of a mighty fortress is our God. And there I see a woman who was recently assaulted, singing with all of her might of a bulwark never failing. Or we're singing the 18th century words of come thou fount of every blessing. And I'm heartened by the older saint who has persevered in the faith for decades and yet is still singing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Or we're singing the 19th century words of it as well. And I look out and see the middle-aged brother struggling with discouragement over his own fight against sinful anger, now raising his voice to shout, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Or we're singing the 21st century words of in Christ alone, and I see that talented young mother who is tempted to regret what she's given up to have children, now exulting in her new ambition, in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. As I sit and look out and behold my own praises to God are strengthened by the stories and the songs of others. And my faith is invigorated and enlarged by his work in my brothers and sisters in Christ. Isn't that beautiful? We all have a picture that comes into our minds when we hear the word church. But the picture the Bible gives us is a picture of us. Worshiping together doing life together, serving together, witnessing together, and experiencing God's presence and work in our midst. There is one body, one spirit, one baptism, because there is only one who has given himself for the life of the world. 
Today, if you personally feel disconnected from the body because you've never surrendered yourself to Christ who is the head of the body, in the next couple of moments, this is your opportunity, an open invitation for you to step out and to come to Christ and to say, I'm ready to move from death into life. I'm ready to experience that freedom and to know that I am a part of God's family. I am the body of Christ. And to experience that transformational work in your heart that only Christ can do. For others who have made that decision, maybe today you just need a, a recommitment point. You just need to remember that what unites us together is the one spirit that God has given us to drink and to commit yourself again to the work that Christ is doing through his body, the church. Whatever the Lord is speaking to your heart today, it would be a shame if this if in this one last moment of worship together as Philip Stevens himself comes to lead us that we would miss the opportunity to take a further step of obedience and to say yes to whatever the Lord is speaking to our heart to my brothers and sisters in Christ I say again we are one in Christ Jesus and Jesus Christ himself is our king let's pray together Lord I thank you today for the work that you've already been doing in this place and in our hearts I pray for each person here, for those who are watching online, that in these last couple of minutes together, as we've lifted up the name of Jesus and the cross, that you would draw people to yourself. Whether those who have never surrendered to you or, or those who have, but know they need to surrender their lives again. And Lord, would you find us faithful and useful as your servants to do the work that you've called us to do in this world. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Our ministers are available. And the number one reason we are here is if Christ is calling you to come to him today and you know that, step out. Take that step of obedience and come to Christ. We will meet you where you are and we would love to tell you more about how you can grow in him. We're also here to pray with you, pray for you. Or maybe on this Mother's Day, the Lord is leading you or your family to become a part of this family. We would love to welcome you and present you as new members today. However the Lord is leading you, as Philip comes and leads us as we sing, if Christ is calling you to come to him, you come to him right now as we sing. Take my life
so much for joining us in worship today. What a special day of worship for so many reasons. Happy Mother's Day to all of you moms out there, and we're thankful that you get to celebrate today. We don't want you to be back tonight. Do not come here. Spend time with your family here on this Mother's Day, and look in your channel. There's lots of stuff coming up, lots of invitations to important events that are happening in the next few weeks. One I will mention, our preschool choir performance was rained out last Wednesday night, and it will be this Wednesday and so everyone is invited to come and see that cuteness factor of our preschoolers singing in our chapel. We'll do that this Wednesday night. And as always, we do have ministers available right after this service. They're in our office lobby. They'll be happy to talk with you and pray with you today about absolutely anything. Let me offer our blessing, and that will serve as our benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you. May the Lord be gracious to you. And may God turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.